Everybody. Hi guys. Oh, welcome to Space Squidward. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Put him away. <laughs> I can't. Oh uh, yeah. And by the way, I'm Gage. And I'm Ray. And you are listening to Gorb Report, a true crime podcast. Yay! Welcome to all of our silliness and weirdness and more silliness and more weirdness. You know, we only do this to assert dominance. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's really something that's beyond our control. Truly, quickly, it is. Establish, oh, quickly establish. I can't even say it. Establish <laughs> dominance. There we go. That's better. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord! I struggled so hard just now. <laughs> Are you okay? No. What happened? <laughs> See, there were some steps there. Oh, God, you're pulling me, and you didn't just walk down them no. or even approach them in an elegant manner. I stumbled down them. I tumbled. I you did a ate, barrel roll. You ate shit, bitch. I ate shit hard. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. We hope you're having a good day and a good week and, and a, a good, good life. life. As always, we wish you that happy, safe, warm, loving, and a bunch of other adjectives kind of existence. I didn't. You really were have... about to fall down the steps. There. I was about to. I caught myself. <laughs> but we always hope that you're doing okay. If you're new here with me and Ray, then welcome. Hi. Welcome. We are glad to have you for sure. For sure. Pull up a seat. Get comfy. Enjoy we're about the to weird. make your. <laughs> we're about to make your nerves fucking shot. Yeah, because our podcast is one fever dream of a nightmare. It really is, and it's so silly. <laughs> There's so much silliness. Well, we just have fun doing this, and I love it. And I wanted to thank you guys so, so, so much for all the shares that we've been getting. I've been seeing mentions on stories. and Yes, it's, it's fucking awesome. It is truly fucking awesome. We appreciate any and all of the support and kindness from you guys truly what do you have for us today because i'm super excited about it i know you have been absolutely pestering me i've been trying to get <laughs> research done i'm i'm over here working on eileen warnos you guys and he is messaging me every five minutes going oh my god you've got to hear this case i can't wait for you to hear it just i'm telling you it's wild like the excitement i have <sighs> I'm just going to contain it a little bit. I'm not going to freak out. We're not going to freak out on the podcast. I'm, I promised myself I wouldn't freak out. But yeah, today's case is actually one that I learned about in the last three to four months. And just let me tell you, it fascinates me. Like, it truly fascinates me. Nice. Uh, this case also took place in the late 1890s, so it's an older one as well. So it's like old timey murder old timey old old timey old timey is that even is that even a thing still i don't know old timey <laughs> i haven't heard that in so long i don't even know it just fell out of my mouth honestly but regardless it's an old case gotcha so today's episode is going to be the story of the greenbrier ghost 
Yeah, do you know this one? I do not know this one. Okay. And let me just say... You're in for it. ...that I knew with how much you were texting me how awesome it was going to be. So, you know... Oh, I'm, you, I'm ready for this. Like, I'm here for me? it. I'm here for it. I love you. I, I wasn't saying pestering like you're getting on my nerves. I mean, like, pestering like every... Hey, 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 <laughs> hey. I love you. You're just over here, like, gassing me up. I'm excited. But, uh, yeah, to say the very least, the story of the Greenbrier ghost, it's insane. And it's also the first and only instance in American history where the testimony of a ghost was completely admissible in a court of law. So you're telling me that this, like, ghost, like, ghost, ghost, <laughs> like, n- nobody here ghost. <laughs> yes. Like, I can walk through walls kind of ghost. I'm talking about a literal spirit. Should yes. I call Scooby-Doo in the gang? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. But yes, you are correct. I'm talking about a actual spirit. This case, again, is the first and only instance in American history where spectral evidence was actually used in a murder trial. What did they use? Like a, a Ouija board? Wait, Ouija? Ouija? Oh, no, not the Luigi board. Oh, God. <laughs> not the Luigi board. Um, I call them Ouija boards. Ouija. I've heard people say Luigi. <laughs> I'd like to go Ouija. Bitch. <laughs> but no, there was no spirit board involved here. Um, essentially what happened, this ghost testified against their own killer in a court of law. And the spectral testimony was not only recorded in a legal court document, like it was recorded. It was completely admissible. It was a key factor in the conviction of this killer. Like it's fucking wild. And it's an incredible story. Wow. It's truly wild. Like, this story gripped me. Mm-hmm. Like, I heard about it, and I just immediately, I just was enthralled. I oh, imme- it's one of those. Yes. I immediately went to note-taking. I, like, there was no hesitation. I was like, I'm going to cover this. This is going to be my next episode, because it's just, it's just crazy. That's I can't emphasize that. That's how I felt about that. the Tim McLean case when you sent me that. Right, right. It gripped me in that way. Truly, it did. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I'm strapped in. <laughs> I don't know if I believe this, but you know, well, sorry. Well, your opinion may or may not change. <laughs> As the story progresses, we will just have to see. Okay. So, for the setting of this story, I'm going to be taking us to Greenbrier County in West Virginia. And Another I don't kn- West Virginia yeah, thing. I was just about to say, I don't know what it is lately about West Virginia, but I've just been on this West Virginian vibe lately. Like, I did the first episode of Cryptids and Creatures. You know, Braxy and Mothman are both from West Virginia. Braxy. Braxy. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't get over that. Braxy. Uh, but yeah, I covered uh, those stories, and then today's case happened in West Virginia. I just have a good bit of episodes that are tied to West Virginia somehow. I don't get it. But... Are you telling me that we need to take a road trip soon? Are you trying to hint that? Like, Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. I need to go to West Virginia. There's no denying that. But yeah, we're going to Greenbrier County. So to get things started... I'm going to introduce you to a woman named Elva Zona Heaster Shoe. Oh, that's 
a beautiful name. Isn't it a beautiful name? Like It's a mouthful, but it's beautiful. It's a name from a different time. It's definitely that. It's very beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, she mainly was known as Zona. That's what her mother and her family referred to her as. So going forward, I will also be referring to her as Zona. That is like the coolest nickname I've ever heard. It's beautiful. Like that was actually her name, Elva Zona. That's so awesome. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So Zona, she was born in 1875 in Greenbrier County, West Virginia, and she was the second oldest of seven children. Her mother was Mary Jane Robinson Heaster, and her father was Jacob Hedges Heaster. Mary and Jacob actually had a farm. Mm -hmm. Like, they were really involved with, you know, trading their goods from the farm to the people in town. That's just kind of what they did. Mary and Jacob made a living for themselves as farmers, and they Mm -hmm. were really successful. Nice. So when they had Zona... She grew up in this kind of environment. She was really, really involved with her parents' farm, and from reports that you can read, Zona had a very happy childhood. She was described as a very loving and very kind girl, and she was well-received by her community. Uh, this whole family, really, the the Heaster family, they were really liked by people in town. They were well-known. They were known to be honest and loyal people and hardworking. They didn't start, you know, shit with anybody. They were just very well liked. You know, everybody right. knew the Heasters, basically. There was really no one that had anything bad to say about Zona or her parents. Mary was a religious person. She was kind of known for that, but she had this reputation amongst the townspeople for being like really kind. She was laid back. She wasn't judgmental. Oh, nice. She was honest and dedicated to her work. So, This isn't an instance where, like, religious is a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. She was very just laid back and chill. Mary was also incredibly close to her daughter, Zona. They had a very loving, very wholesome relationship. Some people even thought that Mary and Zona were sisters. Oh. Yeah, it would be a very common thing that they would get mistaken as sisters rather than mother and daughter. So this is the kind of bond that they had. And it was really, really special. It was noticed by others. So, you know, keep that in mind and remember that for later. Zona grew up to be an incredibly loving and kind woman, and she was loved deeply by her siblings and the rest of her family. It's all very fairy tale-like, a little bit. (laughs) The beginning of the story is, anyway. In 1891, when Zona reached 16 years of age, her parents granted her a little more freedom. You know, she turns 16, she's growing up a little bit. Her parents are like, you know what, you can go outside, you can do stuff. That's just kind (laughs) of how it went. Zona was given the privilege to accompany her siblings to go into town when they did their trading of the farm goods. Mm -hmm. They would basically load everything up on a wagon, I'm assuming, not even trying to be funny. This happened in, you know, the 1800s, late 1800s. And they would go into town, they would barter and trade and make money, and then they would come back. They just did this, like, weekly, I think. Okay. So Zona started going with her siblings to join them. And one day on one of these trips, she met a boy named George Wooldridge. George was actually working at a local mill in town. And Zona and George hit it off immediately. It's actually super, super sweet, if I'm being honest. The two had immediate sparks. This is a prime example of young, blossoming love. And it wasn't long after they met that the two started making special trips into town to see one another. And you know what? (laughs) Let me point out, it's so wholesome. 
because nowadays you can hardly get a man to text back, but you got George out here with horse and wagon <laughs> and he's planning and he's putting in effort and he's going to meet Zona right? like step up your game everybody <laughs> like step up your game <laughs> remember if they wanted to they would right George and Zona started planning dates with one another like I just said all of that sweet fuzzy stuff and all of this led to a full-blown romance Zona and George never got married though due to their families not really like approving or let me say it's not that they didn't approve of the relationship but rather both families thought that George and Zona just wasn't quite ready to take on familial responsibilities mm, so gotcha. that was more of the reason it wasn't because they didn't approve of the two being together it was more of I think you guys are a little too young to rush into this maybe you should take a step back and like you know be young and, and not gotcha. <laughs> So this didn't stop George and Zona from being together. They actually remained a couple for a few years. And in 1895, Zona would actually find out that she was pregnant. Oh. Right. So when this was found out, since Zona and George didn't get married, they made an arrangement where George agreed to pay support for the baby. This was all handled in a very civil manner. It was all kosher. And it's kind of crazy because, again... Let me remind you of the time period that we're in. This is the late 1800s, and you hear about an arrangement like this being carried out in a civil manner. It's just like, wow. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's is, perspective. It is very surprising because back then, like, the woman would be ruined. It was a different time. Yeah. And that's something that I'm going to remind you guys of several times going forward. But it's just one of those things. It's like, wow, you have these young people out here. They have a nice civil arrangement with their families. They bring a, they have a child, or Zona gets pregnant, and they're handling their shit. Right. That's about the best way I know to describe it. It's a very civil, very calm situation. So it would be November 29th, 1895, that Zona would give birth to her son. But unfortunately, he would sadly pass away just days after. Oh, no. He wasn't even named. Damn. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, from what I could read, Zona's baby did have a birth certificate, but not an official name. Okay. And yeah, and he was laid to rest officially on the Heaster family farm property. Okay. So that's, you know, it's sad. And it wouldn't be long after this experience that Zona and George separated, as you can imagine. I mean, they're a very young couple. They're pretty much each other's first love. They go into it really quickly. That's they, really sad. It is. And then they have this experience and then tragedy. I don't think Zona and George knew how to deal with it. If I'm being honest, I just don't think this was in the scope of what they thought their relationship would bring, basically. So this just pretty much devastated them. I mean, it was a civil yeah. breakup, but I don't know. When you're going through a miscarriage as a couple... Most couples rarely survive that. It makes such a big impact. I mean, it's understandable. I couldn't yeah. imagine the grief of losing a child. I mean, I'm not a parent. I just couldn't imagine it. And to be so young, too. Yeah. But regardless of the situation, you know, there's a lot of factors at play here. A lot of reasons we can speculate. But ultimately, Zona and George went their separate ways. And it would actually be a little under a year after the breakup that George would go on to marry another woman. I mean, I don't necessarily want to say George is bad for this. This is just kind of what happened. He had this experience with Zona. They went 
their separate ways. They're dealing with their grief in their own way. George just kind of moved on and got hitched and fell in love again, I guess. And just, you know, he went off. I don't want to necessarily say he's bad for that, but this is just the reality of what happened. Yeah. But Zona was left alone to kind of pick up the pieces by herself after all of this. I hate that. Yeah, she's very young and she's lost her first child. And she's grieving, you know, heavily over that, of course. And then to add to that, she's also grieving the loss of her partner, her first love. Right. So all of this was a lot for Zona. I mean, understandably, it would be a lot for anybody. Right. Uh, In the months after all of this, it was reported by Mary that Zona just fell into this deep depression. She became very isolated. She stopped leaving the house to do anything. She just kind of collapsed in on herself a bit. And I couldn't imagine, I've I've said it like three times, I couldn't imagine the pain she was going through during all of this. Zona remained in this kind of dark place for almost a year before she finally started to show glimpses of her old self again. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, healing isn't a linear process. It's not. There's definitely stages involved in it, but she just kind of was really heavy down, like down bad for over a year. And then her family, more specifically, her mother said that little glimpses of Zona started peeking through after that time. But it would actually be that next year after all of this happened, um, after Zona lost her child and George in 1896, that Zona started venturing out into town again with her siblings. Oh, cool. So yeah, you know, she's out, she's leaving her room. She's doing stuff. We love to hear it. We love to hear it. Uh, And it would be on one of these first trips back into town that she met the new blacksmith. And his name was Edward Trout Shoe. So Edward... Trout? Trout. (laughs) Okay. Edward was a physically attractive, very outgoing and charming man. He snagged people's attention not only with his looks and lively demeanor, but also with his elaborate tales of his travels. Mm. Which I'll just go ahead and say, spoiler alert, these tales were all... (laughs) I smell bullshit. Oh, you got me. You got me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, surprise. Most of these tales were fabricated lies. Again, this Edward Trout character, he's a piece of shit human. He's a stupid ass fish person. Oh, God, Um, that escalated so quickly. (laughs) So I'm just going to kill the vibe. (laughs) I just want to say early that he is not in any way the charismatic, charming blacksmith hunk that his initial description was making him out to be. Definitely not. But nonetheless, Zona was very attracted to this man. You know, she didn't know any of this about him. Oh, like a moth to the flame. Like a moth to the flame. And you know what? We can't blame Zona here. I mean, he was kind of hot as fuck, and he's a fucking blacksmith. Daddy. Right. (laughs) He's a blacksmith. Like, that's some fairy tale shit. So it's like, you know what, Zona, sweetheart, we can't blame you. But Edward seemed just very confident very just lively, charismatic. He had all of those positive traits. He just seemed to be all that in a bag of chips. And she was definitely swooned by him. And oh. he noticed Zona as well. Oh, no. You said, oh, no. No, baby, no. <laughs> in the coming weeks, Zona started going into town more and more to see Edward at his blacksmith shop. In this short period of time, Zona's family said that she almost seemed to be her old self again. Oh. 
yeah, it's something to note. Oh no, the love bombing. Yeah, I hate to spoil that so early, but yeah. No, I just, I picked up on it though, because like for him to be such a piece of shit person, it, and now she's all happy but and vibrant. You, you straight up said, this is too happy of a story to be on our podcast, what's wrong? I'm telling you, <laughs> I was waiting for the other fucking shoe to drop. But yeah, it just, in this period of time, it seemed like this weight of grief was finally lifting off Azona's shoulders a bit. You know, when she lost her son and then George, she never really came back all the way from that. I don't right. I don't think you ever do, you really. Don't. So this short period of time after Zona had met Edward, it just seemed to be the first time in a long time that she appeared happy. Right. And her family noticed it. So, you know, at this point, the red flags are deeply dyed and painted as green flags. Dress That's a good me up way as to a matador it. and smack me on the ass because I too enjoy red flags. <laughs> Zona's parents and her family noticed the effect that this Edward guy was having on their daughter, and they were happy for Zona. Her parents immediately wanted to meet this Edward person. They wanted to meet this mystery guy who had been having a really good effect on their daughter. So that's what they did. Right. Mary and Jacob loaded up into the wagon and they went into town with Zona and a few of their other children and they went to this blacksmith shop to meet Edward. Why is it funny for you to say that they loaded up in this wagon? I don't know. You call, you're call. you calling me out so hard right now. I honestly don't know why it is. It's just, again, this is a story from a different time. So I'm just thinking about the imagery of this was a time where that was like the thing. It was very casual. We're like, oh, go outside, load the wagon. We're going into town. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know. It's just something I We're giggle about. We're going to go see the blacksmith. We're going to go meet the blacksmith. Exactly. It's just one of those things. It's just a little bit of funny imagery. I love, well, I had to call it out because like, <laughs> I'm, I'm here for the laughs, baby. I'm here for the laughs. And we're going to need them. Trust me. Oh, no. So when Mary and Jacob and Zona and they all went to meet Edward, this is the point in the story where the real unsettling vibe of everything enters the chat. Like, truly. Okay. For me, when I learned the entirety of the story, like, in context, and then you look back, this is definitely the point of the story where it's like, oh my god. Oh no. Okay, okay. So. Alright. <sighs> I'm ready. So, Zona's mother, Mary, said that when she met Edward... Like, the minute she laid eyes on him and spoke to him for a few minutes, that she immediately hated him. Thank you. Thank Mom's the OG. I'm telling you. Mom's the OG. <laughs> an overlaying theme of this episode is the mother's intuition is nothing to fuck with. Like, truly. Oh, my God. So, okay. Mary, she thought of Edward as arrogant and highly inappropriate. She noticed that he seemed to be very flirty and kind of aggressive towards, like, the younger girls, even teenagers. Oh, hell no. Yeah, Edward was in his 30s at this point. Um, oh, hell no. But, yeah, she, you know, Mary noticed this. Uh, Mary said that Edward seemed to be a, quote, pig with many secrets. <gasps> Love that, first of all. <laughs> right. So, Mary, she just had this vibe right out the gate. And again, it's chilling as fuck with how the rest of this story goes. Again, mother's intuition, nothing to fuck with. And Mary's intuition about Edward was 100% correct. Oh, no. Yes. Mary immediately saw through the bullshit, and she was not about it. Edward left such a bad impression on Zona's parents that they actually forbade her from seeing him. Oh, no. Like, it was that serious. Mary was like, nope, canceled, shut down, shut this shit down now. We're not going to do it. 
Like they were just not about it, and Any it was immediate. Time that you forbid someone from seeing someone, it's not going to happen. They're going to see them. They're yeah. going to see them. Yeah. So and, this is uh, this is where she rebels. I'm guessing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just a little bit going forward. I'm just emphasizing the point. When you learn this story, by the time you get to the end of it, you're going to look back on this, and you're going to be like, "Wow, the way that Mary just automatically perceived Edward." It just chills me to my bone. It really, really does. Like, no one truly knew the past that Edward had. Not even Mary, but even then she wasn't blinded by his facade. Like, she knew he was a liar. She knew that he had secrets. She just knew that his vibe was way off. So, you know, as we progress into the story, this will for sure be something that you're going to look back on and just be like, holy fuck. Or at least for me it was. Okay. I actually am going to branch away from the main story just for a few minutes. Because I actually want to give you a little more detailed insight into this Edward character. Okay. Yeah, I want to tell you guys about his past a little bit. Trust me, it's all in the name of context. (laughs) So first off, he was lying about his name. What? Yeah, most people would call him Trout. Like, that was actually a common nickname for him. Everyone called him Trout. But his real name, his birth name, was not Edward Trout Shoe. His real name was Erasmus Stribling Shoe. Listen, I need to have a talk with his parents. Again, Um, this is definitely a name from a different time, but it's definitely not as elegant as Zona's. And you take into account the kind of character he has, and it's just even more gross. Yeah, right? It's, It's a little fucking weird. (laughs) So, Edward, I've been calling him Edward this whole time, so going forward, I'm just going to continue to call him that. But I would get confused if you didn't call him Edward. Right, I don't want to confuse anyone, so we're just going to keep calling him Edward. Or you can call him Trout, whatever you want to call him, I'm going to call him Edward. He was born in 1861 in Augusta County, West Virginia, to his parents, Jacob and Elizabeth. He grew up in the Droop Mountain area of West Virginia, Mm -hmm. and his father was a Confederate soldier that started blacksmithing when he returned home from the Civil War. So, yeah, this is actually where Edward would later learn the blacksmithing art was from his father. Gotcha. And from what I could find, Edward was a very spoiled child. Extremely entitled. He came from a family with a lot of money. You know, needless to say, he grew up to be a bit of an asshole. God. Edward also had a very, very bad temper, an explosive temper. And he had a habit of lying. Like, he would lie a lot. Just not about small things, but big things, anything. He just lied about everything. I mean, the man is first and foremost lying about his name. Yeah, and we're going to find out a little bit more. You can't trust somebody like that. Yeah, we're going to find out, you know, here in a few minutes, you're going to get this image painted for you about, you know, why he wanted to change his name or whatever the case may be. But Edward was a liar. The point of this... He was a liar. He has a history of lying. He loved being the center of attention, too. He was one of those people that he didn't care what he had to do to be in the spotlight, whether he had to make an ass of himself or whether he had to lie and lie and make up stories. He just did whatever he could. He had to have attention. God. And these traits definitely stuck with him into his adulthood. So, yeah, the vibe is not likable. It's definitely not likable. And for this next big chunk of episode, really from here till the end, it's just going to get less and less likable. Oh, man. (laughs) No, we were on such a good... Okay. (laughs) So, continuing with Edward, 
He grew up to be a bit of an asshole. These traits that he displayed as a child definitely stuck with him into his adulthood. In fact, they got way worse. So he would go on to get married. He was actually married twice before Zona. Oh, no. So Edward's first wife, her name was Ellen Esteline Cutlip. She was a beautiful young woman from Greenbrier County. She dated Edward for a few years. The two got married on Christmas Eve of 1885. And get this shit, and I'm not exaggerating this next part, but immediately after their wedding, and I mean immediately after, Edward started violently abusing Ellen, both verbally and physically. Throw the whole... Throw the whole man away. Just throw the whole man away. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's kind of fucking insane. Like, again, no exaggeration. As soon as the ceremony was done, he flipped this switch completely and revealed his true colors as the toxic, violent son of a bitch that he was. No. In the months following the wedding, he would just randomly leave Ellen at home for weeks at a time by herself while he went out and cheated on her. Yeah. And then he would just return home without an explanation, without anything, you know, as to where he's been. He just expected Ellen to go back to normal as if nothing had happened. Hell no. And it's fucking disgusting. He would also have a daughter with Ellen in 1887, and her name was Goethe or Gertie Lucretia Shue. But not even having a child stopped Edward's abuse. Not at all. He continued to be violent towards Ellen. His cheating sprees continued. He just, yeah, it didn't get better. And their marriage reached a breaking point when Edward literally just up and one day threw his wife and his daughter out of his house. Like, literally. He just comes home one day, tells his wife to pack her shit and take Gertie, and then he throws them both out of his house with their belongings onto the street. Yeah. Uh -uh. And Gertie was still an infant at this time. Like, an infant. So, again, Edward is a fucking monster. Truly, he is. This is the kind of person that he is. Two years after he kicked his wife and his daughter out, Edward actually stole a horse, and his ass got caught for it, and he got sentenced to serve two years in Moundsville Prison as a result. (laughs) Right, he deserves it. And Ellen would actually come back to him while he was in prison just to serve him a divorce. Oh, good for her. <laughs> Your stomach dropped for a second. Oh, my God. I got so nervous for a second. <laughs> nah, he Stop got playing with my fucking emotions. He went to prison for stealing this horse. Ellen was like, you know what? Fuck you. You're behind bars. Actually, here's a divorce. <laughs> I'm getting the fuck away from you. And that's what she did. So, you know, more power to her. I love it. So while Edward was in prison, he took time to work on his blacksmithing. And he continued to blacksmith even after his release from prison in December of 1890. Upon his release, he moved to Pocahontas County, and he remained there until 1894 when he met his second wife, a woman named Lucy Ann Tritt. Okay. They would marry in June of that same year, and their marriage would only last for eight months. No surprise. Can you guess why? You want to take a wild guess? Did he get abusive with her as well? Uh, That definitely plays a part in it, but specifically... In February of 1895, eight months after they got married, Lucy actually died from trauma she sustained after Edward hit her in the face with a brick. What? Yeah. So Edward told police that he was on their roof repairing the chimney. Evidently, a lot of snow had covered the roof and like fucked the bricks up. I don't know. But Edward claimed that he was up on the roof and then he claimed that Lucy brought him a glass of water up his ladder. 
Edwards said that he wasn't paying attention when he threw a brick over his shoulder, accidentally hitting Lucy square in her face. Wow. Which is bullshit, because again, this killed her. She was hit so hard in her face with a brick that it killed her. Wow. But this was the story that Edward gave police, and the whole case against him would be dropped because there was no other witnesses except Edward and Lucy. And since Lucy couldn't speak for herself, they just took Edward's word for it. So he got away with this. You know, they don't have the technology that we have today. So, of course, he would get away with it. I mean, it's really, really sad. And I couldn't imagine what this felt like for Lucy's family. Like, I mean, good God, they knew that their daughter had been murdered by Edward and there was literally nothing that they could do about it. Oh, my God. It is heartbreaking. She was married to this man for eight months and he killed her. Like, to die because you got hit in the face so hard with a brick. I That's fucking barbaric. Yeah. Truly, it is. So after this incident took place, Edward fled back to Greenbrier County. He started telling people his name was Edward, and he picked right back up with his blacksmithing. He essentially tried to start a whole new identity this go-round. And after a little time of blacksmithing in Greenbrier County, he would meet his soon-to-be third wife, Zona Heaster. No. No. Yeah, so now you have those gaps filled in leading up to when Zona met him, and it just... It makes me sick. I and now you like really, this. yes, you really have this image being painted here. And I'm going to bring back the point for Zona's mother to pick up on all of this is wild to me. Again, for the third or fourth time, a mother's intuition is a force not to be fucked with. Right. It's not. So picking up on the main story where I left off, Zona's parents met Edward. They fucking hated him and they forbade Zona to see him. But as you said, this didn't stop them from seeing each other. Zona was, of course, just too infatuated with him. She felt like her and Edward had something real, and she didn't want to give that up. And I mean, bless her heart, he oh, was a no. fucking blacksmith. No. Again, a fucking blacksmith. So, you know, we can't really blame Zona here. She was truly in love with Edward. So, in secret, and against her parents' warnings, Zona continued to see him. Fuck no. And you know, we know, Zona doesn't know, but Edward's not the knight in shining armor that, you know, Zona thinks he is. Edward actually seemed to take pride in the fact that Zona's parents didn't really like him. Like, again, Zona doesn't know any of this, obviously, but Edward only wanted to own Zona. Like, she was nothing but property to him. So this whole thing with her parents and Zona's family not liking him and her sneaking to see him like he knew he had this grip on her and it was like a game to him like he was a fucking pig about it truly i hate this so unfortunately zona and edward became a thing like they entered into a relationship with one another and uh it went very very fast they started dating and then before you know it edward proposed to zona he was like you know what fuck your siblings fuck your parents just run away with me and get married like fuck everything oh my god and Zona agreed because she loved him. You know, Poor she's girl. she's really, really into this guy. I'm going to say it a hundred times. I don't care. Like, he's tall, handsome, seemingly charismatic, and he's a goddamn blacksmith. You're just so hung up on him being a blacksmith. I really am. I mean, it's just it's just one of those things. Like, I mean, are you over here going, mm, yes, zaddy, but, like, also you're a piece of shit, so... Mm. Oh, no, definitely not for Edward, but, like, 
I know you and you know me. Look at me in my face right now and tell me that if a fucking blacksmith came up to you and was like, hey, baby, what you doing? You wouldn't just like, what would you do, bitch? Be, listen, if you going to be anything, listen. bitch, be fucking for real. <laughs> listen, listen. Uh, if I was going to say anything, I would not say anything on this podcast. <laughs> of what would and wouldn't happen. It would not be on this podcast. Oh, my God. I'm crying. I love you. I love you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, back on track. Sorry for our silliness, you guys. Uh, Zona was just completely in love with Edward. She wanted to be with him. And she had not one idea of the past that this man had. And it's sad. So Zona packed her things and she left her family behind without telling them what was going on. And her and Edward ran off to get married. Okay. Their official wedding date was October 20th, 1896. And since none of Zona's family knew about the wedding and Edward's family didn't know about the wedding, you know, of course, none of the family attended. It was just this really small ceremony between the two of them. And it was also said that Zona wore like a deep red crimson colored dress for her wedding that she made herself. She deserves so much better than that. I'm telling you, like, this story truly is just fucking sad. It really is sad. But yeah, they had this wedding ceremony, and then Edward and Zona headed back into town. Zona actually moved in with Edward, and I believe the townhome or the house they were in was actually a rental property that belonged to Edward. I'm not quite sure, but regardless, they moved in with one another. And it wasn't long after this that Zona and Edward's family found out that the two had gotten married. Oh, no. And to say the very least, no one was happy about that. I bet not. Not at all. But to paint the current image for you, at this point in the story, Zona is completely isolated from her friends and her family. She's married to this hyper-abusive, violent piece of shit. And, you know, she's not in a good position. Not at all. And just like Edward did with his first two wives... Edward also showed his true colors the minute him and Zona were officially married. That seems to be his thing. He will put on this extremely charming facade. He'll woo women with his looks and his goddamn blacksmithing. (laughs) (laughs) And then he gets these women to marry him. And then the second that they get married, the second that it's official, he flips that switch. I'm done. (laughs) I'm fucking done. I can't help it. This is a very typical pattern of behavior that's seen in really violent abusers. Yeah. And it's, again, fucking sad. And Zona met Edward when she was grieving the loss of her child and her first partner. Remember, she met Edward only one year after all that happened. So she's in a really vulnerable state. And I don't know. it's, It's like Edward took advantage of that. It's like he knew she was in this vulnerable state and he just jumped all over it. And at this current point in the story, he had Zona right where he wanted her. Like we. Baby, that's what abusers do. That's what I'm saying. We are rapidly, rapidly approaching tragedy. Oh my God. So now I'm going to. I'm tearing up. It's a lot. (laughs) So now I'm going to bring us to the day of January 23rd, 1897. Zona and Edward had only been married for three months at this time. Just three months. But that day in particular was a very unusual day for Edward. Why? You may ask? Why? (laughs) Well, Edward, let me tell you, he had this habit of walking home from work every day for lunch. Keep this in mind. In fact, he would go back and forth from work to home several times a day. Every day. 
He claimed that it was for the reason of checking on Zona, but uh, no, we're going to cut that bullshit early. He was hyper abusive, and I'm more than convinced that he was just obsessively keeping tabs on Zona, like abusers do. Yeah. You know, throughout his day, he was going back and forth just to make sure that she was there. Mm -hmm. So Edward did this all of the time, except on the day of January 23rd. This one day... Edward didn't leave work at all to go home, not one time, or at least that's what he said. But on his lunch break that day, instead of going home, he walked across the street from his blacksmith shop to talk to two of his friends. They were named Martha and Reuben Jones. They were a married couple, and they had an 11-year-old son named Anderson Jones. Martha and Reuben were friends of Edward, and Anderson, their son, was an errand boy, essentially. Mm -hmm. So he had actually done some chores and stuff for Edward and Zona a few times. So they all knew each other, yada, yada. But yeah, Edward went across the street to talk to them. So on this day, Edward asked Martha and Reuben if Anderson could go check on Zona for him. Edward said that Zona wasn't feeling good that day, and he just didn't have time to go home and check on her. Oh, how convenient. Yeah, very convenient. Uh, so Reuben and Martha tell Edward, yeah, you know, Anderson can go check on her, but he has a few things to do for other people. So, you know, he'll get to your request when he's able. So Edward was kind of annoyed by this because he's a fucking jackass, but he agreed and he went back to his shop, just carrying on about his day without a care in the world. Of course. It would be roughly an hour, maybe hour and a half later that Anderson went over to Edward and Zona's house to check on Zona. And this poor child, I could not imagine being in his shoes with this next part. Because remember, Anderson is only 11 years old. So Anderson starts walking towards the house and he said that he sensed that something was really wrong. It made this feeling of fear and nervousness just wash over him. Again, this child is 11 and he's describing how he just felt this really sinister vibe. It's super intense. You know what pisses me off about this? Oh, you know what? Let me just wait for a second until I hear what he finds. Let me just wait. Gotcha, gotcha. Let me just wait. (laughs) So as Anderson gets closer to the front porch of the home, he notices that the steps are lightly splattered in what seemed to be blood. So this kind of freaks him out a bit, and he goes and knocks on the door a few times, and he gets no response. So Anderson tries opening the door, and he finds that it's unlocked. So he goes inside and he sees more blood trailing into the dining room. Anderson followed the blood trail into the dining room, and this is where this poor child found the dead body of Zona Heaster. She was cold and stiff, laying on the floor with her eyes wide open. You know fucking what? (laughs) First of all... Let me start by saying that I'm over this. Secondly, (laughs) how much of a piece of shit are you? Because my feelings and what I what I think, like I think that he has something to do with it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, how could he not? But you're that much of a son of a bitch that you sent an 11 year old to your house, knowing there'd be a dead body there, knowing this kid is gonna get traumatized, like. That is piece of shit on a whole nother level. Like, I wouldn't have felt so bad had he went to an adult and been like, hey, do you mind checking on Zona for me? You know, some stupid shit like that. But I mean, it's still just as bad had he done that. But the fact that he sent a child is is a little much. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's already bad enough that I'm pretty sure that he killed her. 
I don't know at this point, but <laughs> but I'm pretty sure he had something to do with it. I'm just going to flat out say that. But, like, you're that much of a piece of shit. You had to send a child. Yeah, I mean, it's bad. Edward I'm is a fucking angry. monster. Edward is a monster. Like, no exaggeration. I'm mad. So, yeah, going back to the current events, Anderson had just found the dead body of Zona Heaster. And he's terrified by this. But even with how terrified Anderson was, he tried touching Zona to see if she had a pulse. Oh, no. He felt that her skin was cold to the touch, so he kind of wigged out, ran out of the house, all the way back home, and he told his parents that he had found Zona dead. So Martha and Reuben also freak out. They grab Anderson, and then they run across the street to the blacksmith shop to tell Edward. And it was said that Edward just freaked out when Martha and Reuben told him that Zona was dead or that she appeared to be dead. He was just as dramatic as he could be. So Edward joins Martha and Reuben and they all rush back to the house to see Zona. Oh, poor Edward. His wife died while he was at work. I'm telling you. What a snake. Yeah, it's bad. Uh. It's bad. So it was said that as soon as Edward entered the house that he immediately ran to Zona's body, picked her up, and just started screaming and crying. He really put on this act for everyone. He yelled at Martha and Reuben and told them to call the local physician and coroner, Dr. George Knapp. And this is exactly what they did. It took maybe an hour or so for Dr. Knapp to get to the residence, but when he did, he walks in and he finds no one. So he starts calling out for Edward, and it turns out that he was upstairs with Zona's body. So get this shit. What? Yes. Edward had Martha, Reuben, and Anderson leave the house after they called Dr. Knapp. Then after they left, he carried Zona's body upstairs and placed her in the bathtub. This is where he washed her body, changed her into a white dress, and then he placed a black veil over her face. Like, what in the fuck? So this doctor walks in, And this is what he finds. And it gets weirder. Trust me. Dr. Knapp, again, remember, he's also a coroner. He's not only a doctor, he's a coroner. So he tells Edward, well, okay, this is, you know, weird, but I'm going to have to examine Zona's body. I need to see what happened. Right. And Edward would not let him touch her. Not at all. Oh, my God. In fact, Edward actually literally pushed him away. Dr. Knapp asked Edward if he could at least examine her neck and her head. And again, Edward was like, don't fucking touch her. The fuck? And this is just bizarre. Because, like, why even have a doctor there to begin with, Edward? Like, what was the point of calling for a doctor if you're not going to let the doctor examine your wife? Like, this is just fucking suspicious. Yeah, he's just putting on that show, like... Well, he's hiding something. Spoiler alert, he's hiding something. So this doctor is in an incredibly awkward situation. He can't examine the body. So as shitty as it is, he's left with no choice but to assume what her cause of death was. So his final conclusion was that Zona had died of a heart attack. Which, fun fact, back in this time period, a heart attack was also referred to as everlasting faint. What? Yes. Um, I stumbled across more than one source that stated that Zona's original listed cause of death was childbirth. So either way, whether it be childbirth or everlasting faint, neither of those were true. She hadn't given everlasting faint. 
So Zona hadn't given birth to another child, and she hadn't had a heart attack either. But this was what was said at first. And hearing this, it's crazy to think about, you know, again, we're in a different time period. Yeah. And it's just the way things were processed back then, it's just so different. Like, you would hope that something like this today wouldn't happen. Right. But, you know, it's just one of those things. It truly was a different time. You'll really grasp that, you know, the deeper we get into the story. So when Zona's family was informed of her death, they were absolutely crushed, especially Zona's mother. It was said that the minute she found out that Mary just fell to her knees, screaming and crying, quote, I knew it. That devil killed my daughter. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it's really, really sad to think about. Like, when this happened, Zona and her parents were estranged. You know, the last communication they shared probably wasn't good due to circumstances. Zona had left her whole family behind in secret to marry Edward. Yeah. So to find out in the midst of all of this that your daughter has now died in a really mysterious, weird manner, it's just like, fuck, that's sad. I couldn't imagine that. And if you remember what I said earlier, Mary loved all of her kids, but she was especially close to Zona. Right. And this next part, it frustrates me so fucking much. Like, this Edward guy, he really is just a dickhead of the highest caliber. Oh, nice. Okay. But the very next day after Zona's body was discovered, there was a small funeral ceremony for her. And during the entirety of this ceremony, Edward literally guarded Zona's body like a fucking watchdog, and he wouldn't let anyone come near her. He especially didn't want anyone to be near her head. So we have the instance just the day before where Edward literally washed Zona's body, put a dress on her and a black veil over her face, and then he wouldn't let the doctor get near her or examine her in any way. And now the next day at Zona's funeral, he's doing the same shit, not letting anyone come close to her, not even her family. Someone please take Mr. Edward outside. (laughs) And deal with him. Please. (laughs) You know, there's definitely some top-tier fuckery going on, Edward is very much trying to hide something, not that it's obvious or anything. Yeah, not that it's obvious, you know. So after the funeral service and later that evening into that night, everyone did what is referred to as staying up with the dead. Yeah. It's actually a pretty cool practice in my opinion. So basically to you guys that aren't familiar with it, staying up with the dead is a very old death custom The night after someone passes, it was tradition that family would literally stay awake through the night with the body of the recently deceased. A big breakfast or a big meal would be served and enjoyed amongst the family. Coffee was also a really popular thing to have during this ceremony, and the family members would even give offerings in the forms of food and snacks to their deceased loved one. It was like this whole thing. It's basically awake. Yeah. I'm sure other offerings besides food were made too, but food was an extremely common offering for this type of thing, so that's what I'm listing. But, you know, nonetheless, it's this really cool death custom, and this is what Zona's family was doing. Yeah, because, I mean, nowadays you have what they call viewing. You know, so-and-so's viewing is at this time. Right, exactly. Right, but no, like, further back, it was awake. Yeah, staying up with the dead. Right. It's, It's pretty neat. Yeah. While Zona's family was doing this staying up with the dead practice with her following her funeral, Edward stayed on his fucking toes the entire time. Yet again, not letting anyone get near her, not letting anyone touch her, not just none of it. Acting like a fucking guard dog. 
And again, for the third time, the area that he's particularly protecting is her neck and her head. So I couldn't imagine what this was like for Zona's family, having this bastard do this to them, not even, you know, not even let Zona's family near her. And you have to think Mary very much knows that Edward did this to Zona. If this was my family, he would have already been taken out back. Like, <laughs> Right. It's just, I couldn't imagine this. Truly, I couldn't. So the following day, Zona would have her official burial ceremony and get this shit. Guess what? The fuckery with Edward continues. Edward pretty much took complete control over preparing Zona's body for burial. And I mean, he took complete control. He was still not letting anyone at all come near Zona or touch her. So to prepare her for burial, this asswipe puts a big piece of sheet-like material over her face. It's like a big piece of cloth that's been folded over several times. And he lays it over her face and secures it to her head with a bow that he ties under her chin. And then he wraps her neck in a really big scarf. What the fuck? And it's suspicious as fuck. Again, he's going to the extremes of not wanting people to see Zona's neck and her head. Zona's family obviously thought it was fucking weird that Edward was putting this big-ass scarf around her neck and this sheet over her face. Yeah. So when they asked about it, Edward said that it was, quote, Zona's most favorite scarf. She asked me specifically to bury her in it. Then he added, quote, It'll make her rest easier, end quote. Okay, okay, so wait a minute. You said their marriage didn't last long, and yet he's... Three months. Yet they're talking about funeral plans together? Like Right, you picked up on it. That's what I'm saying. Like, what the fuck, Edward? There is so much wrong with that. You're telling me that you and your wife were only married for a little over three months, and in that three months, Zona had a full-blown conversation with you about how she wanted to be buried? Like, that does not make any fucking sense. All right. Zona's family knew this was bullshit, and her family also knew that this scarf was definitely not her favorite. I mean, of course, Zona's family knows her way better than this piece of shit does. Right. So the whole situation is just frustrating. Edward is really putting this family through it. Not only did he kill Zona, spoiler alert, but he's really making her family suffer. Yeah. And I just couldn't imagine this. So Zona would be buried in the cemetery of the Soul Chapel Methodist Church, which is the church that Zona and her family attended. Right. So after Zona was buried, Edward dipped the fuck out. Like, there were witnesses that reported that Edward literally watched like a hawk until the very last bit of dirt was placed over Zona's body. And then he let out a sigh of relief and got the fuck out of Dodge. And I don't mean got the fuck out of Dodge. I mean, Edward made like a Dairy Queen ice cream cone and he dipped. <laughs> he dipped. He's, All right, I'm going to head out. <laughs> he stayed behind just long enough to make sure that Zona was actually underground and that no one would ever find out what he did. And then he ran. Now buckle your seatbelts, because <laughs> this is where the story really kicks up. Like, it absolutely blows my mind. Okay. It fascinates me in the deepest way. Like, everything that I'm about to tell you, it's fucking incredible, honestly, in a number of ways. So in the days following Zona's burial, Zona's mother, Mary, said that she started having visions. These visions were kind of like waking dreams, if that makes sense. But Mary had a period of four days in which every night for those four days, she had a repeating dream 
slash vision in which Zona appeared to her, telling her that her husband Edward had murdered her. Oh, wow. There was another instance during this four-day period where Mary said that she was in Zona's bedroom and she was laying on her bed crying. Mary said that all she could do was clutch her daughter's blankets and beg a higher power to reveal to her what had actually happened. She knew that a heart attack hadn't taken her daughter. Or the everlasting faint. It was not the everlasting faint. And it was in that moment that the ghost of Zona appeared to Mary. Mary said that Zona told her everything. According to Mary, Zona told her that Edward had in fact killed her. Zona told her mother that the day she was killed, that she had gotten up early that morning because she didn't feel well. Zona told her mom that if she didn't get up every day and have food prepared for Edward when he got home, that he would fly off the handle into a blind rage and that he would hurt her. Okay. So Zona's like, Mom, I I did good. I got up and I cooked. And I'm scared of my husband. Wow. It's heartbreaking. Zona told her mother that she had prepared Edward a meal consisting of fresh baked bread, gelatin, and some mixed fruits. And Zona told her mother that when Edward got home and saw his meal, that it sent him into a blind rage. Zona told Mary, Edward was angry that I didn't have meat on his plate. Get the fuck out of here. Zona told her mother that Edward destroyed her baskets and ripped her decorations off of the wall, screaming at her. Zona referred to these things as her pretties. So Zona told Mary, Edward destroyed my pretties. Oh, wow. Zona said that Edward not only screamed at her, but after attacking her and hitting her, that he grabbed her by the neck and squeezed until it popped and blood poured from her mouth. Oh, my God. Zona also told her mother that Edward had disposed of her bloody dress near the house of Martha and Reuben Jones. She said to her mom, quote, If you look in the house where I was, you will find blood. Search a field near a fence. End quote. Zona's ghost told Mary all of this. It's insane. So Mary sat the next few nights in Zona's room, begging her spirit to come back and tell her more. Mary said that the last time Zona's ghost appeared to her, that she didn't say anything, but rather she stood and looked at her mom. And then she turned and started walking away. After a few steps, Mary said that Zona's head turned completely backwards to look at her in the eyes one last time to show her mother that her neck was completely broken. Oh my god. Shitting myself. Fucking chills. Shitting. Chills. Like, the, the chills that I have right now, like, it's, it's just, it's fucking crazy. And the shitting that I have right now is equally <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no, not shitting. Shitting. So, Mary, her initial response to this, you know, she was like, okay, what in the fuck is going on? Like, you know... She was terrified to tell anyone about what she had seen. And that's understandable. You know, she's in the 1800s. I would be scared to death to tell anyone that I saw a ghost of my murdered child. Like, I couldn't imagine that shit. I bet she was afraid. But Mary couldn't hold it in. So the first people she told were her sons and her husband, Jacob. And they immediately believed her. Like, there was no debate. There was no nothing. They just immediately were like, holy fuck, you saw Zona. Like, we believe you. Right. So Mary's sons and Jacob urge Mary to go to some of the neighbors and tell them her story. 
And even though Mary was scared to do so, she did just that. She started talking to her neighbors and it sparked a community response. Literally. Oh, God. Everyone believed Mary. Yes. This whole community was behind her 100%. Everyone fucking hated Edward. Everyone knew he was a piece of shit, and no one needed convincing to believe that he had murdered Zona. Like, no one had trouble believing that. Wow. So as the story spreads, Mary gains the support of everyone around her. Every single person that's heard of her story believes it, and Mary's neighbors urge her to take information to a prosecutor. Like, they're telling her, you need to do something about this. We believe you. Like, something has to be done. Right. You know, everyone is telling her... You know, we got your back. Whatever we need to do, we got you. Like, we will testify for you. Like, we just have to do something about this. Like, it's really incredible. This is happening in the 1800s. And you have this community of people rising up in belief of this. It's, It's amazing. Right. So Mary went through with the idea, and she went to see a prosecutor in Lewisburg. His name was John A. Preston. So Mary goes to his house, and she's like, hey, man. I gotta tell you a story. (laughs) So he invited her in and they just chat for hours, just talking and talking. Mary told John everything, everything about her visions and her dreams. Uh, She tells him about Zona's ghost coming to her and telling her everything that she said. She just spills all of it. And after hours of interviewing and talking with Mary, John's like, you know what, bitch? That was a fucking lot. But I believe you. I believe you. Right. So that's kind of cool. Again, this is in the 1800s. It's fucking crazy to think about. And Mary also reported that during this whole interaction that John didn't once act rude or condescending about anything. He just sat and actually listened to her, which good fucking job, John. Right. Good job. So after talking with Mary, John reaches out to the local deputies and he tells them, look, I know this shit sounds crazy, But interview everyone, ask the townspeople and the locals, ask everyone about Zona and Edward and take note of what everyone is saying. I need to see what people think. Right. So the deputies get on that. John also reached out to Dr. Knapp from earlier, and he was extremely eager to explain how fucking weird it was when he was called over to Edward's and Zona's house the Mm -hmm. day that Zona was found. He was like, man, oh man, do I have something to tell you? (laughs) It was fucking weird, man. George Knapp, he's saying, you know, Edward wouldn't let me do my fucking job. It was just fucking weird. I had to say that she died of everlasting faint. I didn't know what else to say. It's just not going well. Dr. Knapp said that this whole thing had been bothering him. Like, on a real note, jokes aside, Dr. Knapp just pretty much said that the whole thing had just been bothering him. He was really eager to share what, you know, his experience was. Right. Dr. Knapp tells John that he was very intimidated by Edward's aggressive energy. And he tells John, you know, I couldn't even conduct a proper autopsy because this man would not let me near her body, like not one bit. So I assumed she died of everlasting faint. My, I wasn't able to do my shit because this man wouldn't fucking move. Right, right. You know, he didn't know what else to say. So Dr. Knapp, he just spills all of this to John. And he's like, you know, something was wrong. I felt it the whole time. So after police had interviewed a good portion of the townspeople, the eye of suspicion was definitely staring in Edward's direction. The police are wondering, well, why does everyone think this Edward guy is such an asshole? Right. 
you know, remember this whole community was behind Mary. They believed her story. They all pledged to back her up right. if they were asked. So the people were just giving the police a fucking earful. So, yeah. Edward is definitely starting to look more and more suspicious as time passes. So police start digging into his past a bit to see what else they can learn about him. And then they find out about his criminal background, his prison time. Oh, they see no. that he has a pretty extensive history of just being a complete generalized fuckface. But the cherry on the cake was when police discovered that Edward's second wife had also died of mysterious circumstances just months after marrying him, just like Zona. Right. So now they're thinking, hmm, we may be onto something. <laughs> I agree with you, Squidward. <laughs> so shortly after this, the prosecutor talking to Dr. Knapp, the deputies interviewing townspeople, eventually came a time where a coroner's inquest was made regarding Zona's body. Dig her up. And basically, for those of you that don't know, this means that a request was made to properly examine Zona's body for the purpose of seeing what her actual cause of death was. So along with this inquest, Mary also filed for Zona's body to be exhumed. All of this pissed Edward off to the extreme, to oh, say the very least. He was livid. When the police came to tell him that Zona's body was not only going to be exhumed, but she was also going to be given a proper autopsy due to this coroner's inquest... Edward was not about it. In fact, he just blurted out when he found out about this. He was just like, oh, well, uh, I'm not going. What a... Oh, my God. Which, again, A, Edward, you're not making yourself look less suspicious. B, you're kind of 100% supposed to go. Like, when a coroner's inquest is made. Like, it you is, have to go. Yeah, it's common courtesy that the family and loved ones of the deceased be there. And this was Zona's husband, and he's trying to say that he's not going. And it's fucking, you know, it's suspicious. It just remind me of the Grinch. That's it, I'm not going. Basically, like, that's literally... Right? I wasn't even there in the 1800s when this happened, but I have a sinking feeling that's just how he said it. <laughs> I just have the feeling. But, you know, the whole reason Edward spewed that he didn't want to go, it's not because of any other reason than he's just afraid of what's going to be found. He's going to get caught. So the sheriff basically tells Edward, uh, newsflash, buddy, uh, you actually uh, have to go and it would probably be in your best interest to show up. Oh, God. <laughs> so Edward deadass responds to this with, okay, I'll go, but they'll never be able to prove that I did it. Yo. And again, it's like, what the fuck, Edward? Like, you literally just implied that you knew she was murdered or that something happened to her. You just let that very incriminating piece of information slip out of your mouth. I thought you didn't go home that day. How do you know? So wow. it blows my fucking mind. Like, not only is he a deranged, sadistic bastard, but he's also fucking stupid. So we can <laughs> add that to the list with blacksmithing. Body by Nautilus, brains by Mattel. So Prosecutor John Preston receives a warrant for the exhumation of Zona's body, and he also receives an arrest warrant for Edward. Due to the suspicions of foul play, Edward was to be arrested and held behind bars until after Zona's autopsy was performed, mm -hmm. so he couldn't flee, essentially. They got his ass. It would be on February 22, 1897 that a proper autopsy would be performed on Zona's body. 
This autopsy was held in the local log cabin styled one room schoolhouse that sat near the chapel cemetery. Okay. So yeah, classes had to be canceled that day for the children so a potential murder victim could be examined. Wow. And I read that the autopsy table was made from pushed together school desk. Multifunctional. Isn't that fascinating though? Yeah, like it is. again, it's a different time. So we have a schoolhouse autopsy going on. Zona's autopsy was performed by Dr. George Knapp and Dr. Lorenzo McClung, and the entire procedure would last three hours. Five members of an inquest jury were also present, and Edward was also present as well in handcuffs. He was being watched by a police officer. Nice. And the whole time Zona's body is being examined, Edward just wouldn't stop babbling. He started just blurting shit out like, she fell down the stairs, uh, she had to have fallen, which is like, Edward... A, shut the fuck up. B, you said you didn't go home that day, so you don't know how she died, so how would you know that? And C, you look fucking suspicious. Right. Like, just shut up, Edward. I'm telling you, like, it it takes me back how fucking dumb this guy is. It's wild. But, you know, I can look back at this now, and it's probably because he was just getting scared. He was blabbering out of fear and anxiety because he's trying to cover his ass. But in actuality, he's digging his grave much deeper. The more he opens his mouth, the more the suspicion and all of the facts begin to mount against him. Now you are learning what it is like to be ye old fucked. Did you just say ye old fucked? Yes. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Edward was in fact old ye fucking himself. <laughs> really hard. Like extremely hard. So as Dr. Knapp unties oh. this bow thing that had been tied under Zona's chin to secure her head, if you remember me mentioning yeah. that earlier, yeah. when it was removed, her head just completely fell to the side in a super unnatural position. It was very clear that her neck was broken. Oh, my God. And when the scarf was taken from around her neck, there were clear bruises that looked like finger imprints all over her neck, as if she had been choked. The doctors were able to see all of this because Zona's body had actually been remarkably preserved thanks to the incoming winter weather. So not only is he getting fucked spectrally, but he's getting fucked seasonally as well. Yes, he is getting like old ye fucked in old ye all directions. <laughs> like completely. And you know... I actually love to hear something like this. It's one of the instances where the universe is just like, nope, nope, we're not going to do this. Like, the universe straight up said, fuck you, Edward, you're not going to get away from this. Right. And it's just, it's amazing. Like, the falling into place of all these little scenarios happening, it's just fucking wild. Right. So, to continue, the autopsy revealed that Zona had, in fact, been strangled to death. Her neck was completely broken and her windpipe had been crushed. Wow. But the kicker, these injuries are 100% consistent with what Zona's ghost had told Mary. Wow. 100% consistent. If you remember the instance where Zona's ghost came in and spoke to her mother, she yeah. said all of this about her neck being broken way before this happened. Right. So it all checked out. Right. It's fucking chilling. I have chicken legs. Chicken legs. A portion of the autopsy report reads, quote, The discovery was made that the neck was broken and the windpipe mashed. On the throat were the marks of fingers indicating that she had been choking. The neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. The ligaments were torn and ruptured. 
The windpipe had been crushed at a point in front of the neck. End quote. Choking. It's Old English. I know, but like, it's what weird. a word. Choking. You have been choking. You have been choking. So the injuries to Zona's neck and her windpipe were so severe, they were consistent with someone quite literally stomping her throat in. Like stomping her throat to the point that it absolutely just broke her neck to pieces. God damn. So the minute that Dr. Knapp says aloud that Zona had been killed by strangulation, Edward flips his shit and screams out, none of you can prove that I did it. I'm innocent. Right. So, you know, fuck you, Edward. But Edward Trout Shoe was immediately arrested by Officer Hill Nickel and charged with first-degree murder in the death of his wife, Elva Zona Heaster Shoe, and he was placed in the Lewisburg jail to await his trial. On June 22, 1897, Edward's trial began with Judge Joseph Marcellus presiding. So as a prime witness, Zona's mother, Mary, was brought up to the stand to testify. When she was being cross-examined by prosecutor John Preston, he purposefully avoided asking her any questions regarding, you know, the ghost story. Right. I believe he was trying to protect her from seeming, you know, fucking bonkers in right. the court. So he asked very baseline questions. Now, when the defense came to question Mary, they obviously took the opposite approach and they jumped all over that shit. They wanted to essentially make Mary seem as crazy as she could be. Of course, the crazier they say you are, then the less credible your words are. Exactly. The defense trying to do their job, whatever. But Mary stood her ground the whole time. She never once denied or wavered her accounts of being visited by her daughter's spirit. There's actually transcripts of this trial, and I want to read this small excerpt for you guys. This is what Mary told the defense during this trial. So the defense counsel asked Mary, quote, I have heard that you had some dream or vision which led to this post-mortem examination. Am I correct? And then Mary answered, quote, It was no dream. She came back and told me that he was mad that she didn't have no meat cooked for supper. But she said she had plenty and said that he had butter and apple butter, apples, and named over two or three kinds of jellies, pears and cherries and raspberry jelly. And she says I had plenty. And she says, don't you think that he was mad and just took down all my nice things and packed them away and just ruined them? And she told me where I could look down back of Aunt Martha Jones's in the meadow in a rocky place, that I could look in a cellar behind some loose plank and see. It was a square log house, and it was hewed up to the square. And she said for me to look right at the right-hand side of the door as you go in, and at the right-handed corner as you go in. Well... I saw that place just exactly as she told me, and I saw blood right there where she told me. And she told me something about that meat every night she came, just as she did the first night. She comes four times and four nights, but the second night she told me that her neck was squeezed off at the joint, and it was just as she told me. Wow. End quote. Like, what a badass bitch. Here Mary is in the 1800s, and she's just not giving in. She's telling her story adamantly. She's like, you will not shut me up. This was not a dream. My daughter told me what happened to her, and it checked out. Right. So as a desperate tactic, the defense pleaded with Mary to, quote, stop your nonsense and just admit that what you saw was nothing more than dreams. They were Hell not no. visions. And, and if it was my daughter who had been murdered and she come to me... 
as an apparition, I'd be the same way. Yeah, and Mary Heaster responded to this saying, quote, I will not say that for I will not lie. Wow. Like fucking goosebumps. The goosiest of bumps are all, are all over me. I'm bathing in them. Or are you choking in them? Bitch. <laughs> I cannot with you. I'm done. Choking. That word's going to be stuck with me forever now. I, I have choking. Mary's testimony was allowed into the record, and it was not deemed in any way by anyone to be inadmissible. Thus, this is the first and only time in American history where the testimony of a ghost was allowed into the court and deemed as admissible concrete evidence. It is mind-boggling. And then you even go further, you consider that this whole spectral evidence being used in the court of law that was stopped after the Salem witch trials. Right. In October 1692, the governor of Massachusetts dissolved the court of Oyer and Terminer. And in December of 1692, the general court passed the official act against conjuration, witchcraft, and dealing with evil and wicked spirits. This act basically revoked the legitimacy and credibility of spectral evidence in the court of law. So this whole story just has that much more ammunition to it because this took place 200 years after that. Right. Like, this is a big fucking deal. It is crazy. And the fact that the apparition account from what Mary said versus the actual injuries that were found on Zona, it was 100% accurate in every detail. That's insane. So the trial of Edward Troutshoe lasted for eight days. And on the eighth day, after only one hour of deliberation... The jury found him guilty on the count of first-degree murder in the death of Elva Zona Heastershoe. And the conviction wasn't completely founded upon the ghost story either. I mean, it was blatant fact at this point. The way he acted with Zona's body after her death, him getting caught in so many lies, the fact that, I don't know, his fingerprints were found around Zona's neck, like, the amount of damning evidence against Edward was monumental, but this apparition's account just pretty much nailed the fucking coffin shut. Right. So 10 of 12 jurors voted that Edward be executed for his crimes. But since it wasn't a completely unanimous ruling, he was instead sentenced to serve the rest of his life in the Moundsville prison. Now, on July 9th, 1897, and this shit cracks me up. Okay. The Pocahontas County Times published an article in which they were basically roasting Edward's ass. Nice. Like, his own hometown was like, yeah, fuck you, Edward. <laughs> so at the end of this article, it reads, quote, Shu is a bad man and he has no sympathy from the neighborhood in which he was raised, end quote. Bad man. Bad this, man. This is like the 1800s, like old ages form of like social media shade. Like they published this newspaper and was like, yeah, fuck you, Edward. We have nothing for you. Okay, thanks. <laughs> this was like old ye shade throwing. <laughs> It would be ye old shade throwing. Oh, true. <laughs> That's exactly what this was. So in the weeks after Edward's conviction, a literal mob consisting of 30 people started gathering in town. Oh. They were having meetings on how they were going to go snatch Edward out of his cell and hang him. Like this was an actual oh, fucking boy. plan. Like people were angry. Remember what I said earlier? Mary and yeah, Jacob and their family, the community. her family was loved. The community loved Zona. When they found out that this piece of shit had killed her, like, they were not with it. But the plan 
would be ruined because local farmers that had overheard these meetings reported it to the police. Like, <laughs> it got crazy. Like, these farmers are like, oh, hey, yeah, 911, there's these people gathering in a field. They have torches and they're talking about snatching Edward and killing him. And I don't think this should happen. <laughs> I mean, it's fucking crazy. That's a that's a vigilante justice right there. Yeah, a lot of people were enraged that Edward didn't get executed for this. Like a lot of people were just boiling over that. So I think that anger kind of provoked the people to like want to take justice into their own hands, basically. Right. But regardless, the police put a halt to it. So Edward Trout Shoe stayed behind bars at the Moundsville prison. He never received one visit from any of his family members or any of his old friends. Uh, he was just completely alone and good. good. He fucking deserves it. Good. At one point, Edward got into art. I mean, I guess you got to have some way to pass the time. Your little ass is going to be in there forever. But uh, <laughs> he got into drawing and painting. And there's this one picture that he drew in particular that's kind of famous. It's fucking wild. Edward drew a picture of him and Zona next to a really weirdly drawn tree. Okay. Um, Edward wasn't the best artist. I'm just going to throw that out there. But basically, he drew Zona standing up, and then he drew him sitting down in a chair. Of course. Fucking pig. Um, There's this raggedy-ass tree between them again, and at the top of this picture, above the trees, Edward drew him and Zona both in coffins, like separate coffins. It's fucking weird. What? Yeah, it's weird. Edward even asked that this picture be mailed to the blacksmith shop he used to work at in Greenbrier County where he met Zona, but he gave no explanation for it. Get fucked. He just drew it and was like, oh, hey, yeah, I drew this picture. Will you uh, mail it to my old blacksmith shop where I met my third wife that I killed? Thank you. It's weird. But, you know, I mean, he didn't actually, you know, of course, say that. But basically, he did. Yeah. So that picture that Edward drew, I'm going to post a picture of it on our Facebook and Instagram pages for those of you that would like to check that out and see it. But that picture is now owned by the Greenbrier Historical Society, and it's currently on display at the North House Museum that's located in Lewisburg, West Virginia. That's freaking, freaking, freaking wild. Yeah, and the picture is just fucking crazy. Like, it, it's a little chilling. I'm not going to lie. It's chilling. So Edward Trout Shoe would only serve three years of his life sentence. He passed away in his cell in March of 1900. He was a victim of a flu epidemic that had plagued local prison populations. And after his death, no one claimed his body. It's not good enough. So this led Edward to be buried in the White Gate Cemetery, which is a cemetery specifically for dead prisoners whose bodies were never claimed. It's still not good enough. Today, near the grave of Elva Zona Heaster Shoe, there is a plaque still standing that reads, quote, Greenbrier Ghost. Interred in nearby cemetery is Zona Heastershoe. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state prison, only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. And that concludes the story of the Greenbrier ghost. Okay, so the story was amazing. It's wild, isn't it? The story was absolutely amazing. The ending is still fucked. I still feel like it's not good enough for him. Like, he deserves so much worse. 
I agree for this, but um, you know, that's just my own thoughts. Of course, everybody's gonna think differently, but it was a great story. I was riveted. <laughs> I'm happy you enjoyed it. It's wild, isn't it? It's ye old wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's I don't know how else to say it. If this story doesn't grip you and do something to you, then I don't know what will. I like it. I had the right amount of spook to go with the murder. Well, let me it ask. It wasn't much of a mystery, though. Well, let me ask, because in the beginning of this episode, you were like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I believe this. Now that you've heard all of it, we're here at the end. What do you think? Do you, I mean, do you believe truly? I mean, obviously, as you know, I'm a huge believer in ghosts and the paranormal and things like that. Yes, like, we both are. But like, I guess the reason why it didn't quite, um, it didn't quite click with me at first because ghosts can only do so much. Right, you know, right. You had like, no idea what the context was going to be. Right. So it, it's like when you have these paranormal entities, these things messing with electromagnetic fields and all that, like to actually be able to give someone a coherent and very just on point and with the detail in just I'm rambling. But you get what I'm saying, though. Yeah, it's fucking incredible. Like. Zona's mother literally saw her ghost and had a full-blown just Zona told her everything. And then you bring up the fact that they had this really special bond and how close they were. Yeah. Their relationship and their love clearly exceeded the realms of life and death. It's and absolutely that is such a beautiful point. It's just it's it's incredible. And I'm I mean, I couldn't imagine, you know, going forward, like you said, I'm pretty sure Mary agreed with you that it wasn't enough. But I mean, yeah, it's a wild story. It truly fucking got me. It really got me. I, I really had fun putting this episode together. It was a lot. Well, you definitely did the damn thing, and I'm glad the damn thing is done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, you guys, we really hoped you enjoyed our episode this week. Maybe Slash not really enjoyed it because it was a little rough, but nonetheless, it was a lot of fun to be here. We're happy to have all of you. If you would like to follow me and Ray and all of our weird will, good news, you can definitely do that. You can find us on Facebook at Gore Report, a true crime podcast. On Instagram. At Gore Report Podcast. And Twitter. At Gore Report. And don't forget our email, you guys, in case you want to reach out to us that way. It's gorereportpod at gmail.com. So, yeah, you guys, this story fucked my world up. And remember, if a guy tries to convince you to get married after only a few weeks of dating, girl, you better get the fuck up out of there. <laughs> Heart attack is no longer a word in my vocabulary because I can't stop thinking of the everlasting faint. <laughs> oh, yeah. And be wary of handsome blacksmiths. That's all for today, you guys. Bye. Bye.